nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Swansea, this is the Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Hello and welcome to Swans in the Twilight Show. We meet Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tonight we're joined by Sarah Alston, author of Working Effectively with Your Teaching Assistant, a handbook for primary teachers. Managing the vital relationship between teachers and teaching assistants in primary school, whether you're working with an expert or newer teaching assistant. Tune in, talk it out, off we go. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at etradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Swansea. Welcome to the Twilight Show. We meet Nathan Gint on Teachers Talk Radio. And we have gone through that window of it being the Twilight Show. It's the sunny show as it is as we move into the summer term, the summer months. As I said, we're joined by Sarah Alston tonight. I can see uh, she's in the studio there. Sarah, if you can click that uh, call in button, we should be able to connect you so that you can join us. We're talking about her book, Working Effectively with Your Teaching Assistant. Now, uh, I'm going to read a quote off the back here from a previous guest of ours, uh, Andy Taylor. Um, it says, a comprehensive and accessible guide to support uh, anyone in gaining the most uh, from their support staff. I enjoyed the many practical strategies and case studies to support and inspire. Now, I'm just going to check that we've got our guest live with us. Uh, Sarah, can you hear me? Yes, I can indeed. Um just to say it's Sarah, not Sarah. Uh, terribly sorry there, Sarah. Um, now, if you wanted to tell us just a little bit about yourself, what you do, kind of your background. Um, yeah, I'm one of those, well, I've been teaching since 1986, which is terrifying. Um, <laughs> so I'm very, prim, mainly primary schools, but I'm also taught in secondary and in special needs unit. I'm still in school, so what... What I do comes from experience in school. I'm still in school two and a half days a week as a practicing Senko, still at the chalk face or probably the interactive whiteboard face. Um, and I do that part time. The rest of the time, so two and a half days a week in school, the remaining eight plus because I don't really get work life balance, an independent consultant and trainer working with schools to support children both in the area of special needs and safeguarding. And, you know, I go into schools, I do, you know, work with schools as, uh, doing reviews and I offer training and increasingly I write, which I find really quite scary to say because I'm also significantly dyslexic. Oh, okay. Interesting. Oh, that, that is interesting. I might pick your brains about sort of that process because I want to ask some questions about sort of the structure of the book a little bit later on. But um, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to start off though asking, you know, we're discussing your book, Working Effectively with Your Teaching Assistant, and there's a couple of caveats, you know, sort of from the title that you address in the preface of the book. And one of them is sort of that, is teaching assistant a good title, a good job title for the staff we're talking about? 
frankly, no. <laughs> um, I, it would not be my choice. It is not the title I use, but it is the title I sort of got lumbered with for the book mm. because it's the most commonly used. It's used by the DFE. Um, so, and it's the most, it's a shorthand. I think, I think it was 18 different titles in fairly common use. Yeah. Um, to describe these amazing people who work and support our children in schools. Um, my personal choice would be learning support assistant. I think teaching assistant apply, implies that these adults are assisting the teacher. I think the emphasis should be learning support because they're supporting learning. Yeah, the, the one that I'm most familiar with, I would say as well, is, you know, I, I generally talk about learning support assistance as, as well I've used it. And I think with you, you know, that for me most fitted how I've used that that, that kind of support in my classroom. Um, I've heard them called other things as well where I've been worried about there being too much expectation on them, you know, being called things like assistant teachers uh, sort of that other way around and it is kind of about how they're being used that learning support definitely and that comes through in the book um, really strongly the other part that I wanted to ask you about that kind of comes from that title and you do address it in the book is the kind of ownership issue of saying your teaching assistant you know I've, I've always been really lucky and felt a kind of co-ownership there between like you know I'm there there they, they see me their teacher you know we, we we kind of own each other but but do you think there can be a friction between that kind of boss subordinate way between the classroom staff then? There definitely can be, and I'm very aware of it. But equally, you know, I was trying to sort of get my head around this and say, well, I want to make it clear it's about the relationship. Hang on, if I was writing a book for TAs, how to work effectively with your teacher? And I do address it because I think there is a danger sometimes in hearing teachers talk about their TA as if they're a subordinate, something they own. But equally, mm. I mean, people will talk about their partner or their husband or their wife so that it supports the children's learning. And I think one of the things I talk about a lot is becomes a myth that the teacher and the TA should be friends. They are, but that's not this. That's not... The purpose of the relationship, that the relationship is to be able to work effectively. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, that kind of supporting relationships that you talk about there that, that you know, as I say, really comes through in the book. And I think is one of the things that's, that's potentially difficult when, when, when I was reading through and I was thinking, actually, do you know what? How have I got to the point that I that I am in my working, what support did I have? And, uh, you know, in the introduction chapter, you talk about 10 challenges of working with TAs and why they're no one's fault. And part of that is um, around the, you know, and the importance of your book, I think, is what sort of training and expectations exist around support staff. And what are your opinions on sort of how much we get through our teacher training or early career um, around what's expected of us with support staff and how we deal with them? I think there's very, very little, and one of the reasons for writing the book was it came out of conversations with new, early career teachers, newly qualified teachers, um, as they were when I was first having the conversation, about, you know, they were put in this classroom with these adults and told, expect, that there was no training, they were expected to deal with it. 
And, you know, people, I found myself increasingly being involved with conversations with early career teachers, particularly, but actually with teachers across the board. Say, how do I work with the adults? How do I get, sometimes it's put in the frame of, how do I get the adults to do what I want? Or how do I explain to the adults what I want? How do I learn from them? And particularly, I felt particularly when I was talking to some very young teachers, you know, uh, who were saying, you know, I'm in this room with one or more adults who have more experience than me, are older than me, have been at school longer than me, know the children better than me, and I'm the one with the planning and supposed to be have some direction and ownership of what the class happens in the classroom. I'm being be the one where the buck stops, but I haven't got any control over that. How do I make that work? And, you know, I looked at and thought, well, there must be something out there. And there's the excellent academic, great work from the MITRE project um, taken into the Education Endowment Foundation materials. I found shelves of books on how to be a good, good TA. And so, you know, this, the MITRE stuff was aimed at school leaders. These lots of books for TAs on how to be a good TA. But for... T uh, for um, the the te teachers themselves, there just seemed to be a complete void of information and guidance. And that, you know, if you're trying to pitch a book to a publisher, great to be able to say, actually, there's nothing written on this. And there was nothing written on it. And so that was sort of the, the motivation behind the, the book, which came from those kind of conversations. Yeah, you know, and I think you're right. When it, you know, when I looked through it, I hadn't read a book like this before. I hadn't received training, or you know, I'd I'd received advice. I think is probably better than than training. You know, from from colleagues, from Senko, sort of about how to deploy stuff and things like that. I'd had that sort of informal advice, but I hadn't ever received formal training. I certainly hadn't, re you know, had advice or a book or any sort of guidance or reports in that sense, to support me as the classroom teacher in what I should be doing with the adult. Now, I, I wanted to ask as well just about the sort of the context of the book and, um, you know, as you were writing it, um, but the full 10 challenges you mentioned in the, the, that, that kind of introduction chapter were um, the assumption that if you can manage children, you can manage adults. Um, the role of the TA has developed by stealth. And I want to pick your brains on that maybe a little bit later because yeah. I'm really interested in that. The role of the TA is not clear. Confusion between the teacher and TA. Lack of job security. And it does get mentioned somewhere in there that 15% of schools budgets in 2020 is spent on teaching assistants. Um, who becomes a TA and why, a lack of training, issues of time, questions of preparedness, deployment and practice, and using TAs to promote inclusion. And we'll, we'll go through a lot of these topics, but I think some of those jumped out to me as being incredibly pertinent to sort of current school funding issues, particularly when schools might be looking to reduce staff costs um, by reducing staff, and particularly in a kind of post-COVID catch-up approach where we might be deploying our staff slightly differently. Um, did you have those kind of pressures sort of in mind that, you know, people might be using TAs differently because of financial pressures or might even be losing them entirely when you were writing the book? Yes. I, I mean, I was aware of both. And I think one of the, this is why we're going, T, I think TAs, you know, are a vital part of the school staff. 
but you know, they are, as you say, an expensive resource. We use a lot, a lot of primary schools use a lot of their budget on, on TAs and they need to be doing it well. And I think also with the, the you know, the recruitment, the retention of TAs, having the money to finance them, we can only justify that if we're doing it well. I would actually, you know, I, 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 I would, if you're talking, I'm going back to many years ago, I did a review of TA deployment in a primary school. And I, you know, got in and the head teacher took me around the school and it was pointing out the TA, you know, the TAs in the classroom. And I said, so, you know, what are they doing? They're supporting, he said. I said, yes. And what are they doing to support? Support. Yes. But what are they do? What does the support look like? How? And it became very quickly clear, presumably why I've been asked to go in and do the piece of work. He had no idea what this group of his staff were actually doing. He didn't, he knew they were supporting children, but he didn't know how they were supporting children. He didn't know what they were doing. And I think that you know, it's having that question. And I mean, you know, this is one, you know, what is it that we want our TAs to do? If we're going to use them effectively, if we're going to get value for money, if we're going to make a difference to children's learning, we need to be able to actually train, support our staff and share up the planning with them. They're not winging it. Because none of us do our best work when we're winging it. Yet that's what we ask of an awful lot of TAs in an awful lot of schools every single day. To you know, just jump in there when you say about the winging it as well, is we're talking specifically about primary schools as well, where we're talking about support across the whole range of subjects, which, you know, that kind of curriculum... Uh, knowledge for for teaching staff is something that people are concerned about at the moment with the focus on curriculum at the moment so that must be incredibly difficult for um, teaching assistants as well even if they are incredibly experienced and I, think, you know, I, I say primary because I, my back the a whole the book is written and described as being for primary I hope it's got an awful lot for secondary and I hope it's not exclusive for primary, and I know it's not. You know, one of the uh, pre-reviewers was Kenny Wheeler, who has a secondary background, and he's going, yeah, you need this in secondary. But some of the deployment issues and the communication issues are even more complex at secondary. But this key thing about staff not winging it, staff having the knowledge, the understanding. And, you know, you talk about COVID catch-up, um, I'm really aware of the you know, the huge change in the way reading and phonics are, be, are being taught, and these impact and are really important for staff training. And you know we're struggling with teachers, as you say, having the knowledge, and we've got you know TAs, particularly you know this issue. If they arrive with the children, they never see the planning. And then they're being asked to differentiate, support learning. Um, for what, you know, year six maths, particular methods for maths, phonics, unless they have that training, that support, we're not going to make effective use of them. We're not, they're not going to be able to do the job that, as well as they could. And I think it's kind, really important. And, you know, 
that we actually put time and money, dare I say it, into actually training not only our teachers, but also training. There's still simply three elements. We need to train our teachers. We need to train our staff, our TA support staff. We need to train them to work together. <laughs> and one of the things I feel very strongly is that the more staff training we can do jointly with teachers and TAs, the stronger schools will be and the, the greater the impact will be for children. Because otherwise, one group's training the other and messages are getting lost in translation or they've simply not got time to share them. Sort of part of what we've talked about there and, you know, part of this staff training thing and part of, I guess, how things have changed over time is... Um, when I started, you know, you've talked about staff training, teaching assistants turned up and people's hours were, you know, they turned up, they they started in class. Sometimes as the class was coming in, there wasn't a lot of time for prep. They they left at the end of the day. Are, are we changing already to provide the training and the support so teachers can talk to staff before they start the lesson? I would love to think so, but I don't think realistically it's happening. And my, I'm... Seeing a sort of maximum of maybe 15, 30 minutes either end of the day, 30 minutes at the outside. I'm seeing some schools who are giving TAEs some planning time. But on the whole, teaching, it's a budget issue. Schools know it should be happening, but they haven't got the money. It's also a really practical issue that so many of the TAEs are also parents in the school, in a lot of schools, and they haven't got the childcare and they can't afford the childcare. So they're coming in with the children because that's how it works for them to manage their own, you know, their own lives. And they're going out with the children, all the children are sitting around in the classroom after school, which again, doesn't necessarily support liaison. Which is why, you know, I'm trying to look at ways of getting the planning down an absolute minimum as we can and finding a shortcut to it um you know we talk about the, the the parents supporting those those roles that maybe have developed from having uh, adult you know parent helpers in class do you think the kind of people who are being teaching assistants or why people want to be teaching assistants has changed over time as well i know that's one of the 10 things you mentioned at the start yes and no is the answer i mean you Historically, the teaching assistants were senior pupils, but, you know, in Victoria model. Then over the 20th century, the, the, certainly into the beginning of my teaching career, there were no, very few teaching assistants. There were a few ancillary staff who basically dealt with liquids, blood, vomit, urine, and coffee. Um, not mixed, hopefully. And occasionally did could come in to hear readers, come in to help with art lessons. So at the beginning of my career, when it you know used to need to allow most of the day for the computer to load up, you I used to have a parent who came and supervised the computer. You know. But as we got the change in the number of children with special needs in school, as we got the concerns about teacher um, workload and retention and as we got the introduction of the national curriculum and Ofsted we then started getting more support staff 
who were directly being involved within the classroom. And over time, the expectations of those staff have moved from people who wash paint pots to people who are absolutely, you talked about assistant teachers, and they are having a pedagogic role of, and a teaching role. But in many, many schools, particularly in primary schools, the people who are applying for the jobs as TAs, LSAs, are in fact parents at school. Overwhelmingly, the TA workforce remains female. Overwhelmingly, people start as parents. A lot stay if they like the job and it's well supported. The other group I find, in my experience, is people, is people who are looking to go into teacher training, who come and are teaching assistant from a year, a couple of years, and then go use it to gain the experience in schools and check whether they want to be a teacher. But, you know, they're, you know, they're not, you know, the, the workforce, I'm not sure the actual people in it have changed, but the expectations that's made of them has changed hugely. Yeah, and, and that is certainly something that I've noticed. The way that, you know, the way that we talk about using teaching assistants, the way that we use them, and I really like your word about how it's changed by stealth, you know, because it hasn't been something that I've ever really seen as consulted on. It's been gradual changes over time. We're going to take this new approach here. We're going to try this little bit here. It, it's just kind of happened over time that it has significantly changed since, you know, when I first started teaching, definitely sort of 15 years ago. Well, I mean, I started, first, yeah, I, should say I started in 1986, so I began my teacher training, and you, know, it well, it took me to teaching in the year early nineties to have a significant to have teaching assistants doing what we would now recognise as a teaching assistant role in my classroom, and you know, people just no, but nobody sat down and said, actually we need a paraprofessional workforce. If we look at paraprofessionals in you know, health, in social care, in the legal profession, you know, there was a clear model developed of the person with the professional qualification supported by someone who had still has qualifications at a lower level. So you, know, you have, you know, in a hospital, you have doctors and nurses, you also have health care professionals are working, doing often some very complex care roles, but not with the same training as the other medical professors, you know. And you see it in social work, with social workers and family support workers. You see it, you know, in legal terms, solicitors and paralegals. But, and the, in each of those cases, there's been much more thought to the career structure. In the teaching assistant, there is no career structure. It's not even a requirement for them to have line management or appraisal. Oh, wow. Um, there, were no, there were no standards. There was an attempt to introduce standards for teaching assistants, but it was never, it was never followed through. I, I did not realise that. So the, uh, I'm aware I'm getting slightly... I think it's 2000... No, I'm going to have to, 2009-10, then I'm going to have to check the date, it, get, have the advert break. Yeah. 
um, that we had all the attempts at you know, government and the unions agreed to standards for teaching assistants, but they were never made statutory, and so there is no there is no requirement. You, know, it's something the government's green paper and SEN improvement plan has said is going to come in, but you know, it, we had the opportunity to do it. It wasn't done, and that I think is a really difficult um, element for teaching, you because know, teaching assistants are required and expected to do such different things in in different in different schools because there uh, is no uh, no um, consistency of what's expected of them. And that must make it incredibly hard then for staff moving between, you know, not just new staff starting, but if you're moving as an experienced member of staff from one school to a different school with a different approach to how they're going to use their support staff. And there is, it's really hard because there is no consistency. And you even, I mean, I became very aware when I, when st going into a different school as a senior leader, the expectations was completely different. You know, it's a really difficult issue for, um, you know, you, you that there is this complete lack of consistency. Each school is, in effect, making it up as they go along, as yet another element of, of you know, how does this work well? You know, how does this role well work? And how does it work for different in different schools? You know, really, as I say, I found it really interesting thinking about this book. Now, we are going to hear from an organisation that help us out here at Teachers Talk Radio. Um, so uh, some important messages coming up. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to Swansea Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, on Teachers Talk Radio. We're joined by Sarah Alston, uh, talking about working effectively with your uh, teaching assistant, uh, particularly a handbook for primary teachers. Um, Sarah, Sarah, sorry, welcome back. Just very quickly, the date of the teaching teachers assistant standards that were never made statutory is 2016. 
Oh, thank you for, for that. Was a very quick fact check for us in between sort of the, uh, the 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 ad break just there. So thanks for thanks for updating us. Now I wanted to ask you just some sort of technical questions. I did say when we were sort of ter- talking earlier about the structure of the book, and so uh, you know I had a feeling I really enjoyed when I was reading through the book of this kind of staff meeting or training. It felt like more than one voice. Um, this this kind of insightful explanation, and then case study examples, personal stories. I really liked this part where there's examples of this isn't working, try this. Was that sort of a deliberate choice when you were writing the book that you were structuring it in that way? Yes, because I wanted it to feel user-friendly. I wanted to put, didn't want a great long chunk, great long text. I wanted it to be, look, something that people could dip into, break up, was broken up. And it, I found you know, we, we're, my, the inclusive classroom, which I wrote with Daniel Sabell, we had a version of the, if this doesn't work, try this. And people came back and said, we really like this. So I thought, hang on, I've got something that works. You know, be stupid to not try to, again. And I just think it gives people an opportunity to think, yeah, okay. You know, it's when I, ca- staff come to me and they say, oh, you know, I got this pot, you know, this isn't working. And I then say, well, what could you do differently? And I think it's very easy for us to get very negative. And, you know, for teachers say, well, this isn't working for me. You, This child keeps shouting out. Well, what can I, what, what, you know, what, I tried this. Well, what else can I try? And it's, I suppose it's also a way of offering two things people might try sort of in a very quick bit. And it makes it real. It's about real people. You know, all the stories are fictionalised, but, you know, I've met people. You know, I've been working in schools a long time. They are not entirely, you know, they're based in, in, in school experiences. And it's a way of sharing what works and giving examples without going, have you tried this? Have you tried this? You know, the alternative is get, gets a long list of try this, try this, try this, try this. And I did talk briefly at one point the publisher said, well, did I want to almost do like flow charts of if you tried this, try that. Mm. And then we thought, it just, it just didn't work. So, it, no, I really wanted something that people could dip in and out of. You know, I'm hoping this will be a book, you know, people will have and they go, oh, I'm having a bit of a problem with that. I want to make this work better. I can dip in, you know. We don't have a lot of time as teachers to read, so I don't, you know, it'd be lovely to think somebody, people are going to read it all the way through, but what I really want is things they can dip it in and out. That's why, you know, we sort of finish, finish each chapter with some key points and some things to discuss with senior leaders and things to think about and some things that will work really well. Because, and then, you know, if people can look at that, they can look through at these bits and then go, yeah, this is chapter's got what I want in it and go and do de- it dive in deeper hopefully yeah I definitely that way I found it so like a, a, a strange kind of supportiveness of feeling that there were other people on this journey with me making these changes were you know maybe not getting it right and then finding a way to improve as well from those kind of anecdotes and personal stories yeah I mean I've been a Senko since 2008 so I've spoken to a lot of staff I'm sick you know I you know, in my role as consultant and trainer, I go into a lot of schools. And, you know, I want people to come out of conversations 
having something practical they can do. Not, you know, this is not an academic book. It's a practical, you know, the reason we said a handbook, because you know, this is handbook of strategies. And some of them will work, and some of them might not work the first time, but they work the second time. And some of them may work with one class, but not another year. You know, or work one year, not the next, because the children and the staff will be different. You need to have an armory of strategies you can try, because people and circumstances change. Now, I wanted to ask about that. You know, the first chapter of the book is about understanding what you want your TA to do in the classroom. And there's so much in it that I related to. Though, you know, for those that don't work in primary, you can be a new teacher or a new to a year group place with a very experienced TA or the other way around too. You know, I've been stuck in my ways with an unspoken routine with a TA who I knew really well. And then we've had a change of support staff and it's really thrown me so I wanted to ask you you know what when setting up those those classroom roles for each other what are the key things that, that people should be thinking about well, I think it's about not making a lot of it's going to be about not not assuming people can mind read I think in the end of the book I say you know, if I could summarize the book in a single sentence talk to each other don't assume <laughs> that people know you know it's very easy when you know the classic one is I see it again and again either the teacher or the TA has had some bit of training and they go in full of enthusiasm to implement it but they forget to explain to the other what it is they're doing or why they're doing it uh, or you know when I've had you know the speech and language therapist has come in and has talked to one of somebody in the classroom and then they go in but they don't share and I think you, it's about talking, and the other bit about talking is listening. Mm. It's very easy for either the teacher or the TA to give their view, but not to hear what the other one's saying. I think you, the key thing is about also being ex, you know, explicit. If you, I very often find I've got staff coming and complaining to me, that other people are not doing something. And I often end up with the question is, have you asked them to do it? Have you told them that'd be useful? And then, sort of, then there's a silence, and you see them thinking, uh, no. Well, why don't we start with a discussion about what you actually want them to do? You also talk about, you know, in the book, I'm not sure if it's in that chapter or later on, about um, recognising the skill set that, that different people bring to the classroom. And, you know, for those who aren't primary teachers who are listening in, maybe from a different perspective, is, you know, I could be there as a, an amazing artist myself, but have a teaching assistant, and I have previously, who spoke Spanish and far, you know, was Spanish uh, far better than me. Or I, I, I've worked with a teaching assistant who was a football coach. And so, you know, there are those different skills that different people bring. I think that's at Absolutely key, and you know, you know, I I always go back to my amazing teaching assistant who I worked with for many years, is a lovely lady, name checker Wendy Howells, who used to just laugh at the thought that I might teach music. She's very musical. I am possibly the most tone deaf, unmusical person on the planet. It became absolutely clear that Wendy should lead the music. I planned the music lessons because I knew what we needed to teach, but she led them because, mm. and I, because she had the skills. Your music of all things is really hard to teach if you're very unmusical. 
but you by being able to work together she i'm as you can probably hear i'm a i'm a southerner i'm born in south london raised in south london she came from manchester when we were teaching phonics being able to hear them both from the different spec you know different voices was absolutely vital you know because they actually could hear how the sound was different and that was key as well you know, so there was a lot, you know, and so much about recognizing those skills. I think, and also, you know, if you want to make your staff feel valued, use their skills. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if we don't make us, if we don't recognize, and one of the things you won't know what your staff's skills are if you don't ask. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, I, I wanted to ask you, so, you know, we're talking about roles, we're talking about those things. Um, I wanted to ask you, talk in the book a bit about this change in expectations of SCND, particularly, you know, uh, those changes of, of what uh, we, uh, how, how we approach things in, in mainstream settings now, particularly. Um, but also, you give a nickname or, you know, a, of, of a, a Velcro TA and, and the difference between being a helicopter instead. Can you just explain maybe like a little bit more detail for someone who hasn't heard that analogy before? Okay. So very often we have been, with special needs, particularly when a child gets an EHCP, they come, particularly in the local authorities where support is given by ours, local authorities are trying to move away from this, and who knows what the... SEN improvement plan will give us in the future. But at the moment, there is an expectation among staff, senior leaders, parents, and even children. If you have an EHCP, you have a, you have a TA. Mm -hmm. Now, the majority of children do, you know, very few of us go into adulthood with another adult with us all the time. We need to start, give children opportunities for independence. With the expectation of the one-to-one, -one, we get the Velcro TA, the TA who is there with the child all the time. And then the child doesn't get the opportunity to be independent. They don't get the chance to do things for themselves. And, and we impact our expectation that the child can do anything for themselves. Hmm. And you get the children who go, I can't do anything because Miss So-and-So's not here today. And I can't do anything because they're not here. And all the knowledge of the child goes to the TA. They work with the TA so they don't get teacher time. So you know, that's your Velcro TA. It's not a great approach. Much better, in my view, is a helicopter. The, we're saying that you may have a key person who is gives a child that safe contact person, maybe gives the parent the safe contact person, but the, they start the child off, they, like the helicopter, they start on the lap, at ground level. They check the child knows what to do. They maybe give them a prompted start, maybe help them find the resources, maybe give them the resources depending on the child's needs. They then, as a helicopter, they lift off. They can circle, they can watch and observe. They can probably work with some other children at the same time. They come back to their key child. They check they're okay, they encourage, they say, well done, that's great. You know, they check they know what they're doing, they check they know what to do next. Lift off, circle, drop down. So the support is as and when they need it. It is not there when they don't need it. And when they don't need it, the TA can work with other children. It builds the confidence of the children. Disadvantages, we don't always get it right. 
and we may get the timing wrong, but actually that's a learning opportunity both for us and the child as well. So I think it's, you know, my experience is it's a much better approach. I have had some children with very significant physical needs in mainstream classrooms who do need somebody with them all the time. But even those children need some opportunities to be independent. I've also had children with, where there have been significant safeguarding concerns who need somebody with eyes on them at all times. That doesn't mean they need someone glued to them at all times. Does that make it clearer what I'm talking about? Yeah, it does. You know, and I, 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 you know, it's something that I recognise, and I've moved to different schools where, you know, it, it might shock you to hear, or it might not, in that, in, in, in some senses, that you know, I arrived at one school, and and there had been a big change of uh, leadership, so we didn't know a lot about what had happened, and it was our first parents' evening, and I was asked why the teaching assistants weren't coming to parents' evening to talk about the SEND students, and that really shocked me because I said, well, surely the teacher can talk about them, and there had been kind of this complete split between whose responsibility to to an extreme and, and that was the most extreme example of that kind of velcro approach that i'd seen it's about the if you have that approach the child is actually excluded from teacher time that becomes in exclusion masquerading as inclusion because the child is actually being excluded from their entitlement to quality first teaching and the ta becomes a barrier between the child and the teacher and I've also seen TAs become, who are there all the time become a barrier between the child and their peers because mm-hmm. they have a TA with them all the time so they never get to have the relationship with their peers. I you know, went into one school doing a, again, a t- uh, deployment review and I first three classrooms I was able to tell the head teacher I could identify the children with special needs. The man thought I was a genius. I took him back and showed him what I was seeing. And what I'm seeing was in each of those classrooms, I could spot the special needs children because they were sat with an adult between them and their peers. Mm-hmm. And they were actually being separated. And that is, that is not inclusion, that's exclusion. <laughs> Yeah, certainly. Now, I wanted to ask, you know, just as we move on, I should say, this isn't something I mentioned earlier, but the, the chapters start with quotes. And I, I really like that. Or that, you know, very early on in each chapter, there's this quote. And I wanted to read one to you and just get your thoughts on it. This first one, it says, I, you know, I want to be able to support children from the beginning to the end of the lesson. If I can support them in the first five minutes, so they feel confident, then the rest just works. And that's from a TA. Now, you've talked a little bit about that movement already with the helicopter teaching, but how do we get to this point where TAs can support throughout the whole of the lesson? And also, how does that role of the TA then look at different points in the lesson? I I think the first thing is we need them in the room. (laughs) That means we need to be clear that they are not off doing the photocopying, having their break, um, running an intervention group, they're in the room throughout the lesson because they can't support anything when they're not in the room. Hmm. And, and again, this approach sort of goes back to the Inclusive Classroom book I wrote with Daniel Sabell. And he, uh, he and I looked at that with inclusion and inclusive strategies in five phases of the lesson. And 
you know, I took that thought and thought, one of the things I'd been aware when we wrote that book was we didn't talk about TAs and we didn't talk about TAs mm. roles in inclusion. So I wanted to take this opportunity to look at, you know, what did we get? What was it useful for TAs to do? You know, from that meeting and greeting as children come in, that key bit of as making children feel wanted, valued and, and included in the classroom and assessing are they ready to learn and being able to respond to that. Uh, you know, things like setting up the visual timetables, those, those nap, you know, maybe a, some pre, pre-teaching, making sure the children have the resources. Then you supporting children to understand instru- the instructions and the input. This is very often a point when TAs are sent off to do something else. Which means for those who are not getting to see the planning, they don't know what they're supposed to do at the next point when they're supporting individuals. But also they're not, you know, if we can support children to access the instructions, they have a greater chance of being able to follow them independently. It sounds, you know, so actually modelling that engagement, supporting children, being able to use the pre-teaching they've been doing to ensure that children have the vocabulary to access that bit. Then supporting children in that bit where they're working as individuals. And I mean, one of the key things, I've talked about prompted starts, being able to enable children to focus on the learning, not the admin of the lesson. I know as a Senko, I have often looked at books and all children have written in it is the data and the learning intention again and again, because that takes all their um, academic, emotional, learning energy, and they never get to the learning. They just do the admin again and again and again. So, you know, one of the things I think for TAs is simply write the date. I know it sounds really, you know, simple, but also making sure that the children have the right resources. They support that, how children record. And I mean, I don't, I, I, you know, I passionately believe we should be encouraging children to show their own learning and to record independently where possible and you know, support of IT, recognising that writing is not the only way of showing learning. But that's it. But sometimes a child will give a, a dictate a sentence, have a sentence scribed for them so that we get the core of their learning. They actually share what they know. And I think you know, a TA role there the, you know, the whole thing of using IT effectively needs a lot of support. Supporting children to also to talk about what do I, that metacognition, what do I need to do, that scaffolding. Scaffolding is one of those words we use an awful lot in education, but without, can you just scaffold that? Or what do you want them to do? And, you know, understanding that, what do you need to do next question? How do we support children so we're actually supporting the learning not the task completion I find it incredibly interesting when you talk about that that, that difference between supporting work um, work completion and uh, task completion and supporting the learning it's something that I you know I've seen many many times and something that you know is often needed to be addressed I, th- I think it is a conversation that needs to be had with with all staff in the room about what we want to get out of the lesson isn't it you know what is the point of the lesson is the lesson to complete the worksheet or is the lesson to do the learning and you can only spot which is which if you know what the, le- the le- 
what the learning intention is. If it only it goes back to sharing the planning and having the subject knowledge, because if you don't know what it is the child should be learning or how to tell if they learnt it, you're going to return to task completion. You know, I'm just going to say then you know, supporting with group work and the other thing I think really important and I'm is the last five minutes of that lesson and the role of the t getting you know that modeling supporting the children to maintain their focus is supporting children to finish learning to evaluate and to get make those transitions safely because so often that last five minutes just gets rushed and children you know get it find it stressful which means to then find the first five first five minutes or indeed the whole of the next lesson stressful because they've finished the last one in the stress and the role of TA is to make sure those transitions are calm so I mean I think there's a certain you know TAs need to be if we get it right in the first five minutes it works but the more we've got the TA involved throughout the lesson the more they are able to be effective if if because you, but they need to know what they're doing yeah, certainly. So, you know, so, as I say, so useful for me reading through the book and thinking about it, that aiding my uh, thought process. And also, as I say, reading those examples of how it works and, and hearing from different voices, I, I found really powerful in the book as, as a way of helping me personally um, sort of take it on board. It didn't feel uh, dictated to me in that sense. You know, I really enjoyed reading the book. I felt it a kind of process of growth for myself as well. So I think, as I say, I can be more complimentary about that style. Well, thank you. No, because I, you know, I want it to feel like a conversation. Only I can't actually be with each reader. I want to feel that at least part of a conversation, and they can take some bits and, you know, if they want to shout at me, you know, unavailable on social media, please. Do. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I should say, you know, uh, because as I say, you know, I found it incredibly useful. And, you know, as uh, you know, particularly, and I, I'm someone who has a, you know, or should be saying, you know, I should be saying I've got loads of experience in this. But I think you're right about the different people. It's there's people and different skills they bring and how those different people work together. There's so much to it that is worth going back to again and again. And I do feel like that, that with the book is something that I will go back to again and maybe as, as new staff come or people become more experienced or the children I'm working with change is something that I would go back to and look at again and again now we are going to pop to the news uh, the conversation is going to continue after the news so if you're listening with us now stay with us because uh, you can text us in if you're listening in the Podbean app you can tweet us at TT Radio Official we can be looking into that uh, how to work effectively with your teaching assistant um, and join us on the other side. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Katz Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading! This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. During his visit to Northern Ireland, US President Joe Biden suggested in a speech at Ulster University that students are increasingly persuaded to stay at home rather than seek careers abroad. 
The speech reported in the Belfast Telegraph refers to young people, instead of fleeing for opportunities elsewhere, can see their futures and careers for themselves that speak to unlimited possibilities here. However, the article goes on to feature comments from Anne Watt, Director of Political Research Group Pivotal, who says that whilst she welcomed the positive nature of the comments, Northern Ireland still has a long way to go before the battle to keep the most promising students can be won. She went on to say there is evidence in her organisation's research that significant economic migration could be worsening, not improving. The problem of young people leaving Northern Ireland to study elsewhere and not returning has been around for years, and many seem to see the President's words as aspirational rather than accurate. Ms Watts also raised the point that as students leave Northern Ireland, other students from the UK and further afield are not coming in the same numbers. The country, therefore, cannot retain or regain talent, and political instability has not helped matters. In order for Northern Ireland to meet the aspirations raised in Biden's speech, talent needs to stay at home. The Daily Mirror reports on figures released by the Department for Education, which show more than 140,000 schoolchildren were severely absent in the summer of 2022. The paper refers to these young people as ghost children and raises concerns that this pattern is continuing in the current academic year. The Department for Education says the term severely absent refers to children of school age who are not receiving a suitable education either with a teacher or homeschooling. They are usually those with attendance below 50%. The reasons for being away from school include anxiety, mental health, special educational needs and disabilities, but concerns arise around young people who are likely extremely vulnerable. Last year, the Children's Commissioner also released a report focusing on school attendance, but according to DfE figures, attendance to schools across England has largely failed to recover to pre-pandemic levels. Latest figures released by the DfE has persistent absence at 22.4%. These are pupils with below 90% attendance, although this is suggested as being a result of illness towards the end of the autumn term. According to FE Week, the Department for Education has launched a £1 million contract for an organisation to drive new T-level employment placements. The documents explain that the DfE is seeking a potential supplier to engage with employers to develop their knowledge and understanding of T-levels, as well as helping them to plan and prepare to deliver high-quality industry placements. T-level courses were first launched in 2020 and feature a mandatory placement with an employer totalling 45 days or 315 hours. There are now 16 T-levels available with another two due to launch this September. As the provision of the qualifications has grown, so has the need for placements. The DfE has offered financial support to employers offering placements, but uptake has not been high, as employers cite red tape and cost pressures as reasons the courses are unattractive. Finally, as the row over teacher pay and conditions as well as concern over recruitment continues, the Evening Standard featured a report on Londoners turning their back on teaching and flocking to better paid jobs in the city. A combination of the availability of better paid jobs and the high cost of living in the capital is putting Londoners off teaching, according to school leaders. Whilst a DfE spokesperson spoke about the bursaries and scholarships on offer for those training in key subjects such as maths, physics and computing, many took to social media to highlight the issues facing teachers in the capital. 
such as the difficulty in buying or renting property, when the average teacher salary in inner London is £47,000, but the average property price is over £600,000. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, this week I'm going to talk about hidden spy cameras. Do you know who is filming you? Modern cameras can be as small as a pinhead and embedded in things like pens, buttons, and while researching this, I even found one built into the centre of a crosshead screw. Online shopping sites blatantly sell spying devices such as smoke alarms with built-in spy cameras. There have been high-profile cases in the media of people misusing spy cameras, but as I investigated further, one statistic stood out. 11% of people that use Airbnb reported finding hidden cameras. As I continue to dig around for a UK statistic, the figure dropped to 10%. That's 1 in 10 people. Now, obviously, this is not solely limited to Airbnb. They just seem to be the company that has the most media coverage. So, for those of you that are concerned, my next investigation was how to detect a hidden camera. Here are the top pieces of advice I've found. You can buy devices that are designed to detect cameras. They start at about £40 and utilise most of the other methods I'm about to talk about. You can buy an app for your phone. If worried, don't buy it before you go. Some apps have a free trial period. Use that to scan the areas you're concerned with. Visual checks. Look for items that seem out of place. A clock pointing at the bed. A random USB dongle in a wall socket. Shine your phone torch at suspected items. Camera lenses will light up, helping you identify them. In the dark, a lot of cameras will use infrared to continue to get pictures. This can be seen via your phone camera. Look through your phone around the room in the dark and watch for suspicious dots of light. Please remember, if we turn this statistic around, 9 out of 10 places are not covertly trying to film you, and that statistic was good enough for very popular cat food in the past. As always, if you have a tech question, why not send it to at Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea, the Twilight Show. Teachers Talk Radio. Tonight we're joined by Sarah Alston, author of Working Effectively with Your Teaching Assistant. If you've just joined us, we've been talking about this uh, wonderful book from uh, Bloomsbury Education um, and, and all of the, the useful advice in there. We are joined by the author. So um, welcome back, Sarah. Thank you for having me back. I'm really enjoying the Welsh, by the way. I'm, it's, you know, it's lovely to, just hearing. <laughs> It, it, do you know what? It sounds a little bit odd because my because it's like Danny Dyer does Welsh, unfortunately, because of my 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 birth accent, should I say, uh, compared to my my adopted accent, a slightly different. And so, yeah, it, it, you know, sometimes the pronunciation doesn't get off. But it is a really interesting topic at the moment in the news with the, the reclamation of the Welsh language, particularly with um, some of the mountain ranges here causing a bit of a fuss at the moment but you know I'm very passionate about you know your locale where you live being a part of it I think that's important and I think that's the primary school teacher in me you know that being part of a community is something that I really love so I you know I am trying I'm trying my best 
Well, like, I, I, I enjoyed it, and I would give a, you know, if it wasn't getting too off topic, a quick shout out to the wonderful production of Midsummer's Night's Dream at the Sherman Theatre that was in Cardiff last year, where all those who were um, magical or could enchant people or spoke Welsh, those who were not enchanted or enchantable, or spoke English. Oh, well, you know, it is... ...along the Pacemian Arch. That, wow, you know, I'm going to have to look that up because, you know, it is a mythical and magical language over Easter. I, you know, I popped down to see what's King Arthur's Labyrinth with my boys where we went underground and, you know, heard the legends from the Mabinogion. And, and some of them are a bit out there. You know, there's giants, there's talking heads, there's things. But, you know, it, it is a, a magical and mythical language. But we, we digress. We're talking about tonight teaching assistants. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and how to use support staff effectively. Now, um, one of the things that, that really jumped at me and something that I hadn't talked about, because I know we've talked about some of you know, how we use them in lesson time and, um, you know, the training and support and the communication and the definition of roles. But one of the things that jumped out at me was chapter three, and it was about supporting home communication. And it was something that I hadn't really thought about before and definitely something that I want to implement more of. So, you know, in, in your mind, what are the, the positives of the TA supporting you in this way? And maybe what are some of the pitfalls? I think the important is often, I think we need, it because they're somebody different, they often they have a less, a have or seem to have a less formal role. And particularly for those parents whose own experiences at school have not been brilliant, that a TA is less easier to talk to because they're not the teacher. For often there is you know, scope for TAs to carve out time. They're often easily, more easily available, particularly in the schools where the TA is also running, or TA is also running the breakfast club or the after-school club. You, know, the, 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 you know, that scope for them. There's the often they're more embedded within the community. They're often parents, as we already discussed. Hmm. They may, in a lot of schools, those t, the, the TAs will speak. We've just been talking about Welsh. But you know how the TAs will speak home community languages, so it will just make that communication easier. And so you let's use all the support we have. I mean, I talk about children with special needs having a key person, a key person who is that they can relate to, and that's both for the child and for the parent. And so I think you know, we we don't use our TAs to support homeschool communication. We miss we miss a trick. However, there are disadvantages. We need to make sure the communication is consistent. And if you don't share the planning, they don't understand the learning, the communication may be inconsistent. There will be those parents who end up, you know, almost playing off the TA, the teacher, and the different relationship. So we need those messages to be really consistent. And that means the TA and the teacher need to talk to each other and they need to share when they talk to the parents and what they're talked about and what they're said, so that the communication can, is, is consistent and clear. We also need to be you know, aware that the TA doesn't become a substitute for the teacher. We were already saying about, you know, well, the t- TA should have come to that expectation the school. You were saying the TA came to the parent evening parents evening to talk about 
with special needs children, we need to make sure that it's a shared ownership. But it's a resource for God mm. in school. And I think we should not, we don't, we don't use it, we miss a trick, but we need to make sure the boundaries are clear, the confidentiality is clear, we haven't got our TAs being hijacked in the supermarket, being expected to give things, school, opinions about school, and then knowing that even if they are, they just have to say, you know, that's me wearing my school hat, not my buying my sausages hat. And they need to not, you know, you know, that sort of conversation I'm having in this place. But, you know, given those boundaries, you know, put a resource, use it. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, it's, it's something that, you know, I think is really simple, but, but, but so effective and not something that I'd necessarily thought about clearly or had a kind of clear line of thought. Um, one of my concerns... Sorry, go on. When you're saying about skills audit, checking what languages your staff, your staff speak because you, you know, we get growing numbers of children with English and additional language in our schools, and you're finding actually that you have member staff, you said that you had a TA who spoke Spanish, but you know, knowing what languages your staff speak is really important. Because, you know, translators are not a cheap resource. <laughs> no, and you know, I also think, you know, sometimes, you know, in the book, you do talk about like sort of the different roles and responsibilities of different people and, you know, where there, there is a space for um, additional land support. And I think, you know, that that truly is a thing. But also, I think if it's external to the school, sometimes it feels like a separate part when it's part of the school. And that is something I love about that, that community element of the school, being part of it and someone in the school speaks your language. I think that's so much more powerful. And you, you, just, you know, just something to support those. You know, somebody who speaks your language, but also it's not only speaks your language as in having the language. You know, particularly when I'm working with, I'm working with a number of parents whose origin is in Eastern Europe, their English is excellent. In some cases, I suspect rather better than mine. Um, but they, what they don't have is the understanding of the British education system. Mm. and what the expectations of schools and children are, and particularly how special needs is viewed within the education system. So it's not only talking your language as in the actual words, it's talking your language as in the understanding of the culture. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and, you know, um, it's it's not something that I feel comes through in the book, but it is something that I've heard, and it re re relating to teaching assistants, and it relates back to that idea of the role. Um, do you have any concerns that maybe teaching assistants might be being taken advantage of by that role shift, that role yeah. evolution that we're seeing, that we are sometimes asking too much of them for their for their pay bracket, for want of a better word? Absolutely. We're asking... You know, and it's it's both the pay bracket and it's the training. Mm. You know, we're asking people to do you know do things without providing them with the training, without providing with the pay, without providing them with the hours. You know, I keep referring to the need to share planning, and you know I talk about sharing planning with you know three questions which and it's fitting on a post-it. To, of the key information that people need to be able to act, you know, know what's happening in a, in a lesson. But the number of times I go, have heard, oh, well, it's on, the planning's on the system. Oof. The TA, you know, we're then expecting the TA to access the system 
and look at the planning in their own time. Or if they're not being paid, and most of them are being paid pretty near minimum wage, term time only, often not being paid for their breaks, it's, um, you know, to then be asking them at home to look at it. A lot of them don't have the IT capacity, the time, the space to do that. That isn't fair and it's not appropriate. And, you know, we, we because of the relate, because there's so much, there isn't enough money, there isn't enough training, there isn't enough time in the system. And because the so often PAs and teachers form such close relationships, we actually end up relying on the friendship of the TA and the teacher and the desire for, and professionalism from both to give the absolute best to the children in their care, we end up having it, building a system on the expectation that TAs are going to do more than they're paid for. And mm. then when you have a TA and a teacher who don't get on, the system falls apart because it's dependent on goodwill. And that's lovely, but it shouldn't, we shouldn't be, have a system that depends on TAs being able to give extra, being willing and able to give extra time. We should be paying them because when we pay them, when we give them the support to work effectively, they make a, such a difference to the learning of our children. You know, I you know I couldn't agree more. And as I say, it's not something that I feel comes through in the book, but it is something that I think people you know would be aware aware of or, or thinking about. And certainly, you know, I have been a teaching assistant myself, and you know, it's something that I was aware of. Um, you know, we've talked about those different routes as people come through because some people might have those aspirations to go on to training to train to be a teacher and might be wanting to take more and take more on. But some people might want to be a very you know high quality teaching assistant and that is their goal that is okay too uh, and i i mean i think there's you know it's the whole thing of you know, how often do we encourage our very best teachers out of the classroom and into leadership which may not be their skill set hmm. um you know we don't we don't put enough celebration on first class um pra practice in the classroom first class classroom practice we don't you know, we you know, I mean, it was Kenny Beganar when she was standing for Conservative Party leader who described TAs as surplus staff. Ouch. Our present um, Secretary of State who talked about TAs basically training to do something better. This whole disrespect for TAs, I mean, I don't get into it in the book, A, because it's political and time bonded be because you know I want this to be a practical classroom book not a political rant <laughs> but we need to value our TAs and only by valuing our TAs will we actually create an effective workforce which makes a difference for our children now yeah no I you know I, I have to say I do agree I think you know it, it does you know it, it, it upsets me and it frustrates me when people talk about some of those things about you know this kind of expectation that you know oh you know you you should be wanting to to become a teacher rather than doing you know something that you are very good at I think there is a difference between upskilling people to be even be a better version of themselves and 
moving on to do something perceived as a better job. And I, I've seen that work so wonderfully with teach, teaching assistants, giving them the skills to do what they do even better. And I think also the other group I get very concerned about is teaching assistants have been in the job a very long time and were employed to do one thing, but are now being expected to do something entirely different to what they were originally employed for. And then being penalised when they don't, they don't have, they haven't developed the skills that they never, they, you know, they don't, because they were never, never given the training or they, that wasn't what they signed up to do and they would never have signed up to do a job which involved running a math or a phonics group. They signed up to do a job which required doing something entirely different. And I think sometimes we, you know, we need to stop and say, what was it that, what is actually on the teaching assistant's job description? Mm. And is this something that, and the job description when they join the school, not the job description that the person who most recently has joined the school has? So does that make sense? really does and I but I think it's part of what I, I think is you know the longevity of this book on my bookshelf will be the fact that you know staff change I could have a new teacher come in who has a you know a different approach or a different way of looking at things I could have a new teaching assistant join me I could move to a different year group or have you know a different cohort of kids starts me and and that is something I definitely felt reading through that I would go back to this then as all of those things change, you know, classrooms change year on year for a number of reasons. And, and I felt that I could go back. They changed within the year because the children mature. And, you know, my base school, we're a military school. We have children coming and going, you know, all the time. So actually, it's not just your starting, you know, beginning between years. It's within the year. You need to keep looking and saying, have I got this right? Children change. Yeah, certainly. Uh, um, now, I wanted to ask you sort of a final question because, you know, we've talked through so many things and, I, you know, I would advise people to go out, you know, get this book because, you know, I have already found it so useful. And as I say, the longevity of that for me, I, I know I am going to be going back to it and flicking back through and, and refreshing myself as I go through. I'm so pleased to hear that. It's really, really, really nice to hear. So thank you. <laughs> now, my, my final question then is, you know, if it, w one thing could, could listeners think about in relation to their TAs in their school, you know, while they're waiting for the book, book to arrive in the post that they've ordered or, or get to the bookshop, while they're waiting for that, what one thing would you advise that they go to school tomorrow and maybe think about with a fresh pair of eyes? How do they share the planning with their TAs? Is, you know, I, t I, use, I use three questions. What's the learning intention? What's the key vocabulary? What's the outcome for that child? And I think you, and that fits on a post-it. So you can, you literally, you know, if the worst comes to worst, you can give them the answer to three questions on the post-it so they know what the lesson's about. I think the other, so I think one is share the planning, two is check, have you actually said what you want somebody to do? Or are you just assuming they can mind read? Talk to each other and listen to each other. Because, and remember, it's about the children. Yes, that getting to know each other and your relationship is important. But, the, you know, it's a professional relationship. And it's about the support, support for children and their learning. And if we hold that at the focus of what we're doing, that's going to really help our children. And the more we share the information about them, 
and what the learning is, the better it's going to be. Fantastic. No, thank you so much. Now, I will say, you know, if you're, if you're listening and you haven't caught it yet, I've mentioned it a few times. It's it's working effectively with your teaching assistant, a handbook for primary teachers. It's from Bloomsbury Education. Um, and it has, a, you know, a beautiful, if you're looking for it, red on the bottom, orange in the middle, green on the top. You can't miss it. Um, uh, this book here from Sarah Alston. Um, uh, thank you so much for joining us and, and giving up your, your time this evening just to share some of your thoughts, some of the tips that are included in the book. It's been wonderful to talk to you. I'm just going to say, if people want to get in contact, the easiest way is, to, is, is Twitter. I'm at C Inclusion, S E A Inclusion. Um, so please, you know, give me a shout out. Let me know what you think. Ask questions. Get in touch. Um, also on LinkedIn, Facebook. I feel like saying and all good book bookshops, but that's a book and <laughs> a website, which is again C S E A inclusion. Fantastic. Now, I mean, all that leaves to say is, you know, from South Wales, we've talked a little bit. It's, it's Nostar here, so night good, but good, you know, good night. So I will say, Sarah, uh, Nostar from 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 Swansea Nostar. here. Nostar from from just outside London in South. <laughs> Lovely. We're spreading the language, and that, that's what I love. All right. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, good night thank to. You <laughs> good... Thank you too. Uh, good night to all of our listeners. You know, you can continue this conversation at T Radio Official on Twitter if you want to ask more questions, if you want to get involved. Um, and we'll see you soon uh, next time on Teachers Talk Radio. Nasta. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.